The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So, welcome to everybody. Welcome to 2023. This is what I'm saying for today. And we, and we made it. We made it to 2023. There's a lot of people that didn't, actually. <laughs> we passed away before that. And we hear about that in the news. The list of celebrities that have passed away, most of them in their late, in old age, which is a, a very good, well, it's to be expected. So, May uh, 2020. Three, be a year of more peace for within us and within the world, and more happiness, inner happiness, and may it we have real health too. Health of the body, but health of the mind is the most important quality for us, and everything flows from that health of the mind, those internal qualities. And today, um, I'd like to first of all start by introducing the Sangha. Unfortunately for those that are online, sorry about this, I don't think we've got a camera that can take in all the, uh, the Sangha here, but I can describe it, that's it. There are four Sangha members here, and two monks and uh, two nuns. Isn't this like radio? <laughs> that's what you used to, these commentators on radio used to describe everything very well actually, so you felt like you were actually here actually there, wherever it was. And uh, I just introduced the nuns to begin with. And we have the senior nun from Newbury Buddhist Monastery. Ira Paik is here. She was here for the last uh, for New Year's Eve last night. And she is being assisted by Aya Santa, uh, who's at Newbury Mon Buddhist Monastery too. We in fact have four nuns at Newbury Buddhist Monastery. So and three of them now fully ordained and one almost fully ordained, on the way to being fully ordained, soon we hope. And uh, for those that are wondering online or even here, I am Ajahn Nisarano. I wonder sometimes, who am I? <laughs> I am Ajahn Nisarano, and I'm the senior monk at Newbury Buddhist Monastery. And this is Ajahn Mudito sitting on my left for the live audience, for the um, online audience. And we have five monks at Newbury Buddhist Monastery, which is pretty much maximum, actually, because we only have five huts. <laughs> so otherwise it would be the root of a tree, which is pretty cold, we're at Newbury. So it makes me uh, reflect on how the BSV has really grown, Buddhist Society of Victoria. I have been involved with the Buddhist Society since the early 90s, and I've seen it grow from a small place in um, Richmond, in a house in, Mag not Magnolia Street, in Mary Street, and uh, grow to a centre like this that now has a monastery and supports a Sangha of nine Sangha members. That's incredible. And developing a monastery that will be a treasure for the future and a great benefit to the lay community and the monastic community because it's providing facilities for the whole of the Buddhist community, the monastic Sangha and also the lay community, particularly in the form of the new meditation retreat centre we are building. And it will be up and running in August or September. It keeps going back. <laughs> but um, that's what we say. So we're very, very lucky to have such a, a Sangha. And for the Buddhist Society of Victoria, this is really realising a, a, a long-term goal that we've had since 1953. 
which is quite a long time. This is our 70th year as a Buddhist society. And uh, so this is, and it's a very sizable monastery too. I just mentioned it's 150 acres for those that are online. So that's reasonable size and divided, very well divided into three areas. The area for the monks, for the lay community where the meditation retreat center is in the center of the monastery and then the nuns area as well. So it's very wonderful. And we're offering this opportunity for members of the lay community to come forth and become monastics. Because I sometimes think uh, the lay community thinks of the Sangha as a different breed, but actually we came from the lay community. I was a member of the Buddhist Society of Victoria in the 90s, early 90s. So it's really nice to have that long association with the Buddhist Society and see it grow in such a good way, a positive way, to support Dhamma, support Dhamma practice for everyone, which is great. So I'd just like to mention for those who weren't here, many people here last night for the New Year's Eve. Not some of you were, I can see the tired one, <laughs> like me too, tired. So last year we were focusing on the theme was what would you wish for 2023? And of course, not only what we would wish for 2023, that's easy to do, isn't it? We can wish for a lot of things, but how we will actually make it a reality. And of course, this is a big part of the Buddha's teaching, is actually through our um, practice of Dhamma, realizing those aspirations that we have. Because he said it's not by uh, prayers and invocations and circumambulating and all this sort of thing that we can achieve these things. These things can happen, really. That's the way of it. They happen because of causes and effects. And the causes and effects are the our efforts on the Noble Eightfold Path, which I'll be talking about today, <laughs> if I get to it. And I also focused, because at New Year's Eve, it's a, it's a t pivotal time, really, where we look back and then we look forward, don't we? Look back on the old year and think, well, what was it about? What, what, what happened in 2022? And we look to 2023 and look at where we wish to head, what direction, what priorities we have in 2023. And uh, of course, the teaching I focused on was the Buddha's teaching on what is essential and what is not essential. We have a big confusion about this, actually. <laughs> in life, you can see people devoting themselves to many things. You think, wow. I think the big criteria for me is, can you take it with you? When this body breaks up, when death comes, can you take it with you? All the stuff you can't take, it, take with you is not really the essential. And of course the essential is developing the inner person, developing the good qualities within. And I talked about, of course, being an ethical person, someone that lives by uh, uh, moral standards and is a great blessing to the world. And being a kind person, a caring person, and also a generous person, but particularly too, being a wise person. A wise person will uh, naturally, I think, tend to have a lot of these qualities. And of course, the focus of that teaching on what is essential, what's not essential, was of course, right intention, right motivation, where we're coming from. And this is so important in life and in the Noble Eightfold Path. And I uh, also focused at the end of the talk on uh, qualities that allow us to stop or pause. 
in the busyness, amidst the busyness of our lives. Many, many people feel this, I even feel this as a monk, you know, <laughs> the momentum of life, the speed of life. It's quite, I think even uh, these days, it is speeding up because of the internet. Everything is so much faster. And the opportunities to pause or stop are getting fewer and fewer. We keep running, <laughs> keep going. And so I was emphasizing for 2023 this idea of stopping. Well, for most people, it's really more like a pause. And I was using the image of the stop button on our devices, um, uh, on our timers, or the pause button, just to pause. Because for many people, pausing is a, perhaps a better way of thinking of it. And the best, what is the best way to stop or pause? Through meditation, developing the mind, going within. These are, these, these are ways that we can just pause for a time, let things settle, see what is important in our lives. Because this is the, the issue, isn't it, really? To see what's essential and not essential, we need calmness. We need to see, have a perspective. And when we're running all the time, we, we don't get that perspective. And uh, when we do this pausing, when we do this stopping, it's actually feeding the heart, giving it that peace, that stillness that we all desire. The mind naturally goes towards it. And in the busyness of our lives, we need a break. We need a rest. <laughs> And uh, I mentioned, I quite like this actually, that's why I thought I'd mention it again. We need more stopping centres, not more shopping centres. <laughs> quite a good phrase, isn't it? I don't know if anybody's ever said it before. I haven't checked on the internet, but I'm sure somebody has. So stopping centres, not shopping centres. I mean, uh, shopping centres like Chadston, very well supported. Stopping centres like Newbury's uh, Meditation and Retreat Centre, not so well supported, but very well supported, but we could even do with more. It will never be the size of Chadston. We will never have to have huge car parks all around it or shuttle services to the Meditation Retreat Service. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that was the case? People, you know... Uh, uh, finding it difficult to get into the meditation retreat center. So in 2023, this was the other theme, the other slogan I used, because, uh, of course, uh, uh, stopping centers as opposed to shopping centers. And in 2023, less retail therapy and more inhale and exhale therapy. So this is meditation, breath meditation at least. And this is where we can stop. And so, of course, the, um, the way we can develop our meditation is attending meditation retreats. And this is actually a very useful way to inspire ourselves, get new uh, approaches to our meditation so that we can go deeper, we can develop the peace, stillness and understanding to a greater depth. And of course, Soon there'll be a meditation retreat center near you at Newbury Buddhist Monastery. And it's going to be a, quite a state-of-the-art meditation retreat center which will grow over the years, we hope, and be a big contribution to the well-being, the mental health of people, not only in Victoria, the eastern side of Australia, but because of the internet, the world. Contribute, because we really need, uh, don't we, these uh, stopping centers. 
And of course, I was mentioning too, just spending time alone with ourselves is a very useful thing, something we rarely do. And uh, spending time in nature is, is a way we can reconnect with this sort of peace, peacefulness within us. We can resonate uh, with the nature around us because we often forget we human beings, we are a part of nature. We're not part of these concrete jungles we often live in. We are part of nature. And so how do we realize you know, these good qualities? How do we uh, develop this stopping or pausing in our lives? And of course, it's the Noble Eightfold Path. This is the, the, the vehicle for us. And uh, for those who remember my last three talks have been about the Four Noble Truths. And of course, the uh, Fourth Noble Truth is the Noble Eightfold Path. It's an amazing teaching for me uh, that it all fits together. Isn't it incredible? We have the Four Noble Truths, the Fourth Noble Truth, or Noble Truths for those who haven't heard it, is that there is unsatisfactoriness or suffering in our lives. I think most people don't need, <laughs> need uh, to um, be reminded about this. There's always difficulties and problems in our lives and the imperfection of life. I often translate unsatisfactoriness as imperfection. And the, the Lord Buddha taught us that there was a cause for that. And of course it's wanting or craving, wanting it to be other than it is. It shouldn't be like this, it should be like that this craving that actually, in fact, we think it's our best friend, but it's really torturing us. That's another talk. <laughs> and the third noble truth was how uh, the craving, this uh, wanting can be given up totally and completely and realizing full awakening, uh, realizing Nibbana, the end of all the defilements in the mind, all those negative qualities that are the real tormentors of our peace, the real disturbers of our peace. And also it's the ending of rebirth, coming back again and again. So that was uh, the Four Noble Truths. And the last one, of course, is the Noble Eightfold Path. And the Noble Eightfold Path, the first factor of the Noble Eightfold Path, what is that? Right view. What is a big part of right view? Four Noble Truths. So you just see how it fits together. Isn't it extraordinary? What genius to teach like this. And uh, I think for the, uh, the Buddha, it was a very natural, uh, a natural development. And it fits all together like some in a jigsaw. We're putting parts of the jigsaw together when we practice. And you can feel that sometimes, can't you? When, when you see something in a different way and it fits in with the Noble Eightfold Path, fits in with the Dhamma, and it brings a under, different understanding of ourselves and the world. So this is... Uh, and of course the symbol of this uh, cohesion, the, the fact that it fits all together, is the, no, is the uh, Dhamma, the wheel of Dhamma, the no, which has eight spokes, and of course that's a noble eightfold path, and uh, it symbolizes the path, each factor of the path, and, uh, and, it sh and uh, the hub is like all those factors coming together, isn't it, in awakening, in enlightenment. So... And uh, there's many ways of looking at the Noble Eightfold Path, and the easy ways are, you know, a sila, morality, a samadhi, and this is developing the mind, 
and also in panya, wisdom. This is a way that we look at it. And also the other way is dana, sila and bhavana. And this is giving our ethical behaviour and, of course, developing the mind. So I'd like to talk a little bit for a while about the Noble Eightfold Path. It's getting shorter and shorter. <laughs> but I'll, I'll mention the Dhammapada verse that is a lovely one about the uh, Noble Eightfold Path. And it says, of all the paths, the Eightfold Path is the best. Of all the truths, the Four Noble Truths are the best. Of all things, uh, dispassion is the best. Of all beings, the seeing one, the Buddha, is the best. So that's lovely. And often the Buddha likened, this is quite interesting, it's, I wish I had all the, uh, the verses that go with it. Uh, one day he was, the Buddha was walking with Venerable Ananda, his assistant, and uh, personal assistant, and uh, they, Venerable Ananda uh, said he saw, and actually he's told the, he mentioned to the Buddha, he saw uh, this amazing chariot in the morning. It was all white and it had white horses and the Brahmin who was driving it was wearing white and uh, everything was matching. Incredible. <laughs> and uh, he said, and Venerable Ananda said to the Buddha, it was like a divine vehicle, a divine vehicle, a heavenly vehicle. And uh, then he asked the Buddha, is there a heavenly vehicle in the Buddha's teaching? And the Buddha said, yes, it's the Noble Eightfold Path. And, uh, and then he described all the different aspects of a chariot in terms of the Noble Eightfold Path. Uh, so this is, uh, so it's really, when we say a divine vehicle, it's probably more like the BMW or the, 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 the Mercedes or the Rolls Royce, the Rolls Royce, you know, this divine vehicle. So I'd just like to introduce the, first of all, the definition of the four noble, uh, the uh, fourth noble truth, the noble eightfold path, and this is uh, the what how the Buddha describes it. Now, this is the noble truth of of the practice that leads to the cessation of suffering or unsatisfactoriness. It is simply this noble eightfold path that is right view, right intention, right speech, right action right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right stillness. And in the Dhammachakapuatna Sutta, he mentions this. This is that middle way awakened to by the Buddha, which gives rise to vision, which gives rise to wisdom, which leads to peace, to direct understanding, to enlightenment, to nibbana. So that's wonderful, isn't it? This is, this is the way, as it were, the way of practice. And it's such a wonderful tool for all of us. This is the way we can develop these qualities that we want to grow in even more. And so he mentions that the, this uh, path leading to cessation of suffering or unsatisfactoriness is to be developed. He mentions for himself, he has developed it. But for us, it is to be developed. And of course, where we develop it is within ourselves. And if we have any difficulties in our life, in our practice, if we find some aspects of our practice are not going or we're lacking in inspiration maybe, or the energy source, inspiration of course, is the energy source for faith, 
when we are inspired, it gives us this energy of faith or confidence, and that uh, encourages, it gives us the energy to practice. So it's very, very important. And I think everybody knows, uh, has heard of the noble eight, the different factors, the noble eightfold path. And of course, uh, with the first one, it is crucial, isn't it? We call it samaditi, right view. This is crucial because it's, it's the map we're operating on. And if we have the wrong map, are we going to arrive at the destination? I doubt it. It's very difficult. If we're planning to go to Perth and we want a map that goes to Sydney, <laughs> bad luck. <laughs> we'll probably end up in Sydney. Maybe you'll think it's Perth, but nevertheless. And uh, so we, we can look at the various aspects of the Noble Eightfold Path in terms of our lives. Have I really understood cause and effect? Do I really uh, see that life uh, of this... Uh, life is a process. This body and mind is a process. This is a really important, it sounds like a very basic thing, but often uh, people are running on the idea, I'm making it happen. I'm doing it. It's all because of me that this is all happening. But it isn't. It's actually a process that's going on. There are many influences that are coming in that are making whatever we're experiencing happen. Even these uh, business people who are incredibly uh, uh, successful, they have so many factors that are feeding into that process of them becoming wealthy and uh, incredibly successful that are actually contributing to it. But often they think about, I'm doing it. I'm the one making it happen. And, and they don't realize there's a lot going on that is, is actually just the process of life and their previous lives. This is one of the, the things, of course, in right view is rebirth, isn't it? Do we, do we really take on board that there is rebirth? I know a lot of some Buddhists don't, actually. But if we do take on, birth, take on, take on the uh, view of rebirth, the possibility of rebirth, we may not have experienced it ourselves, but at least we're open to it. But if you see the idea of rebirth, you realize we're, we're, our lives are like one small chapter, maybe a few pages, in a huge book that's been going on forever and ever, and hopefully won't go on until forever and ever. We can do something about that. So we know the few pages we're on, but we don't know the pages that came before and the pages that possibly will come after it. So this is very important, this understanding of cause and effect, of rebirth for sure, because it really um, changes the way we look at life. We realize there are consequences from what we do in this life that we'll take with us. When I say that, people often think, well, you know, who knows about this future life? But the consequences of our actions of body, speech and mind, this is karma, isn't it part of right view? We can see here and now. We can see here and now. If we do, uh, if, we, if our speech or our actions or our, our thinking our, um, is of a negative quality, the results will be of a similar nature. This is karma. We can see it here and now. One doesn't have to, doesn't need a crystal ball to look at the future life or anything like that. And of course, um, a big determinant that karma shapes our actions of body, speech, and mind shape who we are. The Lord Buddha calls these bodies that we have, 
This is quite interesting. Past karma, past karma. Not only from the past life, but from before this moment. Because you see the, the karma that's related to the body in this life. Somebody starts um, smoking very early in their life and smokes and smokes and smokes. Later in their life, amazing. They may develop health problems. They may develop cancer and those things. And this is karma working out in the body. This is the past karma contributing to the body that we have now. And of course, there are so many things that contribute to the personality and the character that we have now. Sometimes people, when they hear about non-self, they think, well, I feel like I'm somebody. <laughs> of course, we each do. And we each have our own character and uh, personality, which are often quite uh, different from each other. Other, but it's been developed according to lots of influence, past our karma, of course, but also a lot of influences on our lives. Our personalities and characters are definitely reflected by our parents, another part of uh, a right view, definitely affected by the society we live in. If you live in Sri Lanka, and you live in Australia, quite different societies, and I think Sri Lankan people here realise the differences. And if you only live in Australia, you're not quite so aware of that. And the time we live in, this time is very different to say even 50 years ago, even just before 2007 when the smartphone came into existence. We live in a different world because of that. And so time is a very important factor that shapes this what we take to be ourselves and of course very important part of right view and this is an energy source for our practice is giving giving and sharing um, with others not only with the sangha this is obviously in the traditional buddhist sense this is the uh, what the highest form of merit particularly to if we offer to those that are awakened or enlightened but any form of giving and uh, sharing is something that can bring joy to our hearts. And uh, the Buddha mentions that, because sometimes people think, well, you know, if I, if I only give to the Sangha, that's going to be, uh, you know, higher merit, more merit, more good karma. But of course, the Lord Buddha mentions that any gift, any sharing we do is purified, can be purified by the person who's giving. If they've really got a good heart, that makes a lot of merit. Or the recipient, the person you're giving to, if they're really a good person, then that makes a lot of merit. If both of them are, even better. But the Lord would have said, there are occasions when neither of them are. <laughs> and uh, so this is, this is the important point, that where we're coming from makes the good karma. It will purify our giving and sharing. Even if we give to whoever, it doesn't matter, to an animal, but to give with such a good heart a pure heart. So giving is something we shouldn't overlook um, as a source of fuel for our happiness, well-being, and our practice of the Dhamma. And of course, uh, the other aspect, a very, very important aspect of right view is, do, is, the, is the aspect of there are awakened beings. And do we really feel, often I think people really don't take on board you know, they, well, is it possible for me to become awakened, to become enlightened? 
And uh, I think sometimes people don't really, they think, well, maybe others can, you know, but special beings and, you know, all this sort of thing. But of course, this is a possibility for each and every one, uh, this awakening, given the right conditions, given those conditions, given the fuel of inspiration, then it can give rise to, as I mentioned, faith, give rise to virya, energy, give rise to applying that energy through mindfulness, give rise to developing one-pointedness of mind, samadhi, and then wisdom, <laughs> full understanding. So it's a, it's a possibility for all of us, and we shouldn't really uh, discount that we are capable of it. I think sometimes people do. They think they aren't capable of it. But when you think of some of the very unlikely candidates at the time of the Buddha, Angulimala wasn't exactly an ideal candidate. He'd killed 999 people. Uh, Patachara had lost her mind. This was one of the foremost nuns at the time of the Buddha because she'd lost her whole family in one day and she went completely crazy. And also you think of Kisa Gotami, she became a bit deranged because her child had died and she was unable to accept it. So all these people became arahants, fully enlightened. And I know some people say, well, the Buddha was there, but what is really important is the path is there and the inspiration is, the import, is important too for developing the faith. And the second aspect of the Noble Eightfold Path, I'll have to move on, is right intention. Of course, last night, very much about right, developing right intention. And right intention is a very good indicator of how we are practicing the path, but also a very good indicator how we are living our lives. Are we living our lives, you know, uh, uh, seeking all our happiness, from seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting and touching? Or are we looking inward? This is the aspect of renunciation. Are we looking for our happiness from out, outside ourselves? Or are we looking for happiness within? And as I mentioned last night, really, the happiness that we uh, experience from seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting and touching is coming from in here, <laughs> from in ourselves. It's pretty obvious because not the same sight, smells, tastes and touches, etc. Ah, bring happiness to everyone. It's not the case. So it's coming from within. And so this is really the aspect of letting go of all the all attachments to all the five sense experiences and, and in the process to letting go of unwholesome states that are attached, uh, they're often attached to those. So and um, of course, we have to look too in our lives, whether we are at what state our minds are in. Uh, are we finding that we are kind people, caring people, uh, giving people, um, or not? And of course, the second factor of the Noble Eightfold Path is developing non ill will. It sounds a bit. Uh, um, uh, doesn't sound so positive, but it's really, it is qualities like metta, kindness, loving-kindness, friendliness is a good, a big part of that. It's patience with ourselves and with others. Patience with life. <laughs> we need a lot of that, actually. And contentment and all those things. So this is the second aspect of right intention. But the third one, of course, is non-harming, avihingsa. And this is not harming ourselves and not harming others. 
And that can be, of course, isn't it, through body, speech, and mind. Because uh, we, these, we can harm ourselves, we can harm others by our speech, for sure, by our actions, for sure. Our speech can be very cutting, and the Buddha actually once mentioned, he likened speech, wrong speech, to an axe. And he said, we are all born with an axe in our mouths. <laughs> but a wise person doesn't use it. And of course, the other aspect of uh, not harming is not harming ourselves through our thoughts too, because sometimes the inner speech can be really, really critical and negative towards ourselves. And so this can be, this can be really hurting and harming ourselves. We need not believe it. So this is the second uh, factor of the Noble Eightfold Path. We've got a few to go. And so next one's a right speech and right action and right livelihood. And these are very important. They're not optional extras. Sometimes we tend to think that some aspects of the Noble Eightfold Path are more important than others. But they're all important, actually. Uh, very, they all fit together. It is a, a, a complete package. We can't take any of them out. And right speech is, you know, often this is, uh, of course, you know, lying is a, uh, an aspect of wrong speech. So truthfulness is something we can encourage in our lives. Truthfulness and also harmonious speech, speech that brings people together, not divide them. We have enough of that, divisive speech. The internet now is such a, a great divider, isn't it? There's a lot of division in society coming from all these views and opinions on the internet. And then, of course, we want to have gentle and kind speech, not speech that's harsh and rough, you know, and, uh, and also uh, usually often fueled by anger, that sort of speech. And also speech that's really meaningful, not gossip and... Um, all those things, not all the, inf not all the news about celebrities. I mean, I see so many <laughs> notifications about all the celebrities, what they're doing, what they're eating, what the royal family is doing. I think, oh, these poor people, <laughs> they don't get a break. <laughs> so it's quite interesting to see. So, and of course, if our um, uh, in our life, in our meditation, if things are not going so well. We can look at these aspects of right speech um, and uh, I'll talk about right action next and right livelihood just to see if they are playing a part. If they're undermining our life or undermining the meditation, it can be. Um, and the second one, of course, is right action. And in the um, Noble Eightfold Path, it's only threefold, not killing uh, living beings deliberately, intentionally, not um, uh, stealing and not avoiding sexual misconduct. They are the three that are, and they're huge in our society these days. I mean, the great disturbers of peace, inner peace, peace within a family, peace within our society. When we hear of all these mass shootings, my goodness, our anxiety levels just go up. <laughs> And we, we uh, become, we take on a lot of this negativity, thinking the world is such a dark place, missing all the goodness that is really there in the world. And the same with sexual misconduct, dynamite. <laughs> it's dynamite in relationships. 
And of course, stealing is is also uh, dynamite in our relation in our relationships within society. And the last one, right livelihood, so so important. Where do we spend most of our time? For those that are working, at work, you might spend I don't know seven or eight hours at work or longer sometimes, and then you come home. Have dinner, see see friends or family for a short time, go to bed, get up, see them for a short time in the morning, go to work and see your colleagues all day. So we shouldn't overlook livelihood. And of course the Buddha is encouraging us, is saying to avoid any livelihood that's going to harm others, but will harm ourselves as well in the process. And he mentions, of course, those things like you know, if we're making our livelihood from the meat industry, from, uh, from making weapons, from making poisons, dealing with manipulating people, even things like prostitution, people trafficking, all these things. Very obvious, aren't they, really? But anything that really harms others. And in the process, we're harming ourselves by living at that sort of livelihood. So they're very, very important to... Um, to bring a sense of inner peace to ourselves. If we are engaging in any of these wrong wrong speech, wrong action and wrong livelihood, it leads to a sense of dis-ease in ourselves, uneasiness in ourselves. Very hard when we meditate, when we come home to ourselves to get still, to get peaceful, because all our actions of body, speech and mind will tend to come back to us in the stillness. When we're busy, easy to overlook, <laughs> easy to forget. But when we sit down and with ourselves, yeah, that's when the, the pigeons, as it were, return to the, to the coop and they return to home. You know, these pigeons that are homing pigeons. So, so these are all things that support the practice. And of course, the next one right uh, effort is very much about looking at the qualities in our minds and getting wise to those negative ones and avoiding them wherever possible with the situations where they come if come up if possible to avoid to restrain the mind because it's the mind for seeing hearing smelling tasting and touching that gives rise to, to all these negative states and if we can restrain the mind uh, then we can avoid these things that really bring up negative emotions. The harder part of right effort, letting go of the negative mind states once they've arisen. Once we're really angry, putting that fire out is really difficult. Once we have a lot of sexual desire, that's very hard to put that fire out too. So these things, but we have got the remedies that the Buddha recommends. And of course, for anger, it's metta. And for uh, sexual desire, these very strong emotions, is to see, uh, see the unattractive quality of the body, to see impermanence too, you know. And this can be a wonderful way to diffuse strong sexual desire. Just see, seeing um, that the, the person one is at, uh, focusing on and seeing that one day they will be really old they won't look like this. And we see this, isn't it, in the, uh, the news when we see these great, famous actress, actors and actresses, artists of various types, when they were young, attractive, handsome, and now they're old and don't look like that at all. We realise that this 
this attraction that we feel is a very transitory thing. It's not, not, a, not a lasting thing. And of course, the other aspect of right effort is developing good qualities. That's what we're about this year and for the whole of the Buddhist practice, really. Developing these good qualities. And then the next aspect is maintaining them. That's always the difficult aspect in our lives. Maintaining good things uh, is in, important. And of course, if we develop good qualities and maintain them, do the bad qualities. We don't have to avoid them so much. We don't have to let go of them because it's a shortcut for avoiding them and letting go. We just don't, we haven't got as much space, much opportunity for these negative qualities to come up. So that is right effort. And of course, everybody has a very good idea of right mindfulness. And, um, and we can ask ourselves, am I uh, developing mindfulness? in my meditation, in my daily life. So that's an important quality of being present with whatever we're experiencing and also keeping in mind the Buddha's teaching because this gives us the focus for how we're um, uh, using our mindfulness. We need mindfulness when we're practicing um, the five precepts ethical behavior, we need it. We need mindfulness to be aware. Ah, uh -huh, I'm getting close to breaking the first precept. You know, I'm going to step on a, an ant or, or something like that. So mindfulness is an essential quality for us to know what's going on, to get wise to the nature of reality. We need that information. And of course, the, 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 the main teaching about this, what's the main teaching? The Satipatthana, <laughs> the four, four focuses of mindfulness. This body, our body and minds. Looking at the mindfulness of the body, looking at the mindfulness of our feelings, awareness of feelings of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Looking at the states of mind that come up. In, for us, whether they be tiredness after New Year's Eve, <laughs> anger or a joy, elation, the mind coming together in one-pointedness, or being very distracted. All these things are possible. And the last aspect of mindfulness that the Buddha mentions in the four focuses of mindfulness, Satipatthana, is reflecting on life and our meditation in terms of Dhamma. Sitting, when we're in meditation, realizing, ah, oh, I'm feeling really drowsy, dull and drowsy. Oh, this is a hindrance. And just being aware of it being a hindrance, then it gives us the uh, ability to be able to deal with it in a skillful way so that the, that hindrance can go down and, and the mind can become deeper. And so we can uh, either, we can not make war with tiredness and drowsiness. If you're feeling tired and drowsy, don't be like many meditators that go, they're doing this, you know, oh, because they're half asleep and they're fighting the, the drowsiness just to be with it, allow it to be and not resist it and allow it to pass. And that, that is a useful way of doing it or to create energy in the mind and in the body, a useful way of doing it. So, and of course, right stillness. This is the last factor. Sama Samadhi, and of course, favorite of Ajahn Brahms. And it's always defined by the Buddha as the four jhanas. So great. <laughs> 
That's the deep meditation that's possible for the mind when it has the right conditions. Don't worry and think. Many times people think, I can't do that. That's exactly right. That's what Ajahn Brahm says. You can't do that. But if the conditions are right, it will happen with, without you having to do it. In fact, if you do it, it won't happen. <laughs> That's for sure. So these are the four uh, deep meditations where the mind is completely one-pointed. What is it one-pointed on? Joy and happiness. Um, and has uh, it's, it's, it's this stillness, this experience of joy and happiness and uh, peace, all these good qualities. And of course it grows from the first jhana right up to the fourth jhana. And it gets more and more profound, more and more still and deep. And uh, so this is where we can look. We may not have jhana, but we can see whether steadiness, I, this is my definition too, one of the definitions, steadiness or stillness is growing in our minds. Whether it's growing in our meditation, that's easier to see, but also in our lives, there's a certain degree of steadiness, there's a certain degree of stillness. You can see, sometimes you can see the mind is much more uh, steady in, in conditions that are quite difficult to deal with. And it can be surprising. You realize this uh, samadhi, this stillness, is something that we are growing incrementally. It's building within us. The more we meditate, the more the mind becomes peaceful, one-pointed, going towards one-pointedness, the more this stillness will grow within us. So this is something we are working on. And of course, Ajahn Brahm has that lovely uh, that image of a peace, peaceometer. We can see that uh, if we're getting more peaceful, this is really the experience of being still, isn't it? Being peaceful is stillness. Stopping is stillness. Pausing is stillness. So these are all, uh, these are the noble eightfold path. And this is, these are things that will bring the qualities that we are inclining towards in 2023. This is the way we can grow them. And this is our Rolls Royce of the spiritual, spiritual path, the roles, the divine vehicle, as, as the Lord Buddha called it. This is our vehicle for practicing. And what a wonderful vehicle. It is extraordinary that we have this still available, a path of practice. Because if we knew the Buddha's teaching, if we knew the four, three noble truths, but we didn't know how to develop the, the wisdom, to develop all these good qualities, it would be like... Uh, someone standing on the roof of a, of a building and saying, come up, come up, the view is wonderful. There's all these good things on offer. But there's no ladder. <laughs> and of course, the Noble Eightfold Path is our ladder and we can use it. In 2023, we use it inside ourselves. This is where we develop the path, in here. And it will be a contribution that will be something useful for our relationships, our family, for society, and for the world. Because sometimes we can feel a bit helpless um, when we see the condition of the world. And of course, how can we uh, give a positive contribution? Becoming better, wiser people. And of course, becoming awakened, best gift. <laughs> best gift in 2023. So I'd like to finish there and uh, thank you very much for listening today.
There we are. And uh, I don't know if there's any questions or complaints. Complaints are too long, I'm too tired. <laughs> Why do you have to go on so long? What, more jokes? I hope people like the stopping centres, not shopping centres. There so. <laughs> we are. So, no, are there any comments, questions from the floor? Yes, sounds like Parliament, as I usually say. Yes, yeah, there's one. Uh, so, I'm new to hearing this idea of right stillness. I've heard of right concentration before, mm. but I've also heard that when the mind's calm yeah. and then it becomes the body still, then there's concentration. Yeah. So um, I'm wondering about the, I guess, the differences in those terms and if maybe if you could comment on if um, mm. if someone was like, would you recommend, say, if someone's got a bit of an agitated mind and mm. they were to say, well, I'm going to be still and do sitting meditation for 15 minutes, that would be a good thing to help with concentration as opposed to having a coffee or reaching Mm. Something like that. Mm. Mm. Uh, I get the idea that it could be, but yeah. yeah anyway, it's just um, I just find it interesting because um, when the yeah. mind's still, it is really um, I yeah. Find, yeah. I think uh, it's a good question and one that Ajahn Brahm uh, often addresses actually too is the difference between uh, a right concentration, right stillness, and of course concentration gives a sense of I'm doing it and forcing the mind. And this is uh, something that doesn't really lead to sustainable states of mind, sustainable one-pointedness of mind. So it's right stillness uh, that Ajahn Brahm's teaching is really encouraging the mind uh, that it enjoys what it's doing, and, it, and then it goes towards one-pointedness. It's not forcing the mind. This is a big problem because when people force the mind, then you hear, you hear about these Samadhi headaches. <laughs> I've heard this, this term. Ajahn Brahm said he first heard about it in Malaysia because people are using a lot of force. And the idea of concentration, this was an early English um, uh, translation, wasn't it, for Samadhi. And uh, he, 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 he points out this is completely, um, it's pointing in the wrong way because it's encouraging the sense of I'm doing this. And because I'm doing this, there's going to be a lot of force and it's not going to be useful uh, for developing one-pointedness. If one finds, you know, like stillness isn't one's cup of tea, you think that is, you know, you don't relate to that, of course. When the mind does develop uh, one-pointedness, it is still. It is very peaceful. There's lots of ways one can describe it. I often use one-pointedness is, is good. It come, the mind coming together is a good way of describing samadhi. Um, all the steadiness in the mind, as I mentioned before, these are good ways to, um, uh, to think of samadhi. And it's not something that's completely alien to our experience. We can feel this often in our minds, a more steadiness, uh, 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 a tendency for more peace, more stillness. It's not moving and agitated so much. And part of your question, you mentioned, well, is it good when I, when one's agitated to, you know, to sit down and to, to concentrate? And of course, I would say in that case, probably not, because if there's agitation, um, and one is concentrating, forcing, say, the body to sit down, 
and the mind is probably, as it say, restless and agitated, sitting is going to make it even more like a, a prison, really, and and perhaps even um, what do you say, amplify that agitation better. To do walking meditation, say for instance, something active would be good. That would be something to calm the mind. Better to do some breathing. You know, deep breathing is often a good way to calm the mind. And uh, then, um, you know, to do walking meditation and perhaps have uh, do some uh, metta, friendliness or kindness meditation as we walk up and down. Let the, the agitation settle and then we can sit because then the, the mind's ready for it. But otherwise it's like, you know, a kid that's got a, a ton of energy jumping around and all this sort of thing and trying to confine them in a space. You know, it's just not going to work. It's just going <laughs> to lead to grief for everyone, for the parents, for the child, and probably for the room as well. So uh, I think this is wise, uh, a wiser way to do it. Work with the minds. We don't conquer our minds. We don't push our minds. We don't force our minds. We work with them. These minds... As I mentioned, if we come from right view, we don't own them. We think we own this body and mind. We have to give up the body uh, at the end of life. It's for sure every one of us here has to eventually um, give up this body. It will, the body and the mind, the body will no longer be a vehicle for the mind. And so we see that it's, it's not ours. It never was, really. But we have to look after it. And the same with the mind. And because of our ownership of the mind, we tend to suffer so much. Because we take, oh, look, somebody's trying to get in or trying to get out. This is life. <laughs> Someone's stuck. We heard somebody rattling a door for those online. I don't know what's going on. It's, uh, yeah, New Year's Day. So I hope that was uh, uh, okay for you, that, that answer about... It's a really important thing to develop, uh, this stillness of mind. It's the eighth factor of the Noble Eightfold Path. And sometimes the Buddha talks about the seven other factors being the support for samadhi. But what it's pointing to is beyond that. Because we have, don't we have uh, uh, right, uh, right understanding, right, uh, right knowledge, they call it, samanyana, and then right uh, liberation, samadhi. Vimuti. This is what the path's aiming towards. It's strange. The Buddha teaches the Noble Eightfold Path, but doesn't teach the other two factors. Why is that? I think it's because if we practice these eight factors of the Noble Eightfold Path, it will bring us to samanyana, right knowledge, understanding of reality as it is, and then right liberation liberation from all the negative aspects of the mind, liberation from rebirth. So it's an interesting factor, but the samasamadhi, very important for going in, uh, having that uh, ability to look deeply and that power of mind, stillness of mind, that can see clearly without the defilements there. So great. Thank you for that question. And is there, are there any online questions? Yes, Ajahn. Yeah. So there's the two questions uh, are similar, uh, so I'll combine them into one question. Ah, yeah. Should we also be generous to those who deceive us materially oh. or say no in a kind way? If you work with someone who dislikes you or make you, 
make your time difficult mm-hmm. and influence others too. How to deal with this person? Should, should you leave? Yeah, that's sometimes difficult. Um, difficult to what we find ourselves in dif- difficulty if someone's deceiving us. I mean, uh, should we give to them? Is that right? I think it said. And uh, uh, should dis- we say no? Uh, yeah, but kindly. I heard that. Yeah, in, I, in a I think, kind way. I think whatever we're experiencing in life, we have to look at where we're coming from within, you know, and we can say no in a kindly way. And I think this is an important thing that uh, we realize with the spiritual path with our lives is that we can say no, we can be firm, but we don't have to be negative and angry. We don't have to, you know, say something nasty or do something nasty to show that we have got boundaries, you know, but we can be very kind and firm with it. And we'll know the reality of that from looking inside, won't we? We have to see where we're coming from. We, we can't be kind and be gritting our teeth and, you know, looking red in the face. It's probably, there's not a match there. What's happening inside is obviously negative in that case. So we can be. And of course, you know, um, uh, giving to someone that's deceiving us, I think being, just giving them a uh, is, 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 is probably very, very difficult to do authentically <laughs> if you think someone's deceiving you to, to give them something. But just being friendly, I often think this is quite a nice distinction, you know, um, with metta, with uh, that we, it's one of the word translations of it is friendliness. We can be friendly to people who we don't necessarily like or we find pleasant to be with. And this is the essence of customer service, isn't it? Dealing with tough cookies, <laughs> difficult people. And I think this is uh, quite a practice, actually, and maybe they're abusive and verbally abusive, hopefully not uh, um, physically abusive, but to be friendly. We can do it. And that's a gift, actually, to that other person because they'll calm down and uh, you won't be mirroring their anger by getting angry yourself and and therefore making the situation worse. So this is quite a gift anyway to be. And uh, someone who is uh, deceiving us in, the second one was, no, they're undermining us, I think. Second aspect. Uh, the second one is someone dislike us. Dislikes us, yeah. yeah and they also create difficult Right, right. That's always going to be the nature of the world, isn't it? I I take it on board that that, uh, some people will dislike us. If we work on the theory everybody's got to like us, boy, that's suffering. (laughs) It's not reality either. Because we won't be, you know, uh, our character, our personality won't necessarily be what other people like. It's not something they resonate with. So I think that's that is uh, unrealistic. And sometimes it's this trying to please others who um, uh, that don't nece- won't necessarily like us. We can't please. It's just going to lead to a lot of uh, difficulty and suffering for us. So we just acknowledge that you know, some people won't like, um, you know, this personality, this character, and not to take it too personally, you know, and realize when we dislike... It's coming from an inner quality, isn't it, of aversion. It's a negative quality. 
And we, we ourselves shouldn't dwell in dislike for others. But if others dislike us, we can think, poor thing. <laughs> you know, they don't have to suffer really. I mean, I'm just as I am. and They can just leave it at that without dislike. So, But it is hard when somebody's actively undermining one. It sounds like, you know, spreading, saying bad things about one, about a person that they dislike. That is very difficult. But then we can also think this person is creating some really bad karma. This is the karma of divisive speech that we talked about, you know, in uh, wrong speech. When we try to divide people from each other, set them against each other, and undermine one person's relationship with another. And this is something very, very negative. And of course the, uh, the Buddha mentions the consequences of, of some of these... Uh, Actions, wrong actions like that divisive speech can be a, a very bad rebirth because of it. So this is something we don't encourage. When we see it in others, we realize, wow, that's not going to be good for them. <laughs> it's not good for me in the here and now, but it's not good for them either. So thank you for that question. That's good. And are there any more live questions? Yes, would you? Or... Yeah. Yeah. The inequalities and the prejudices and No, this body. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Thank you for that question, because that's quite a quite a a question that a lot of people uh, find difficult when they uh, you know they hear we hear the news about the world in such great detail now um, that it's very we see all these inequalities, all these uh, uh, prejudices, all the all the negative things that are happening. Not only do we see it, we get videos. <laughs> We, we can see it really full on, you know. It's like uh, this war in the Ukraine. You see so much footage. This is real life. This is what people's lives are like. And that it's, it's, it's actually impacts on our minds. How do we deal with that? And uh, in pre prior days, previous days, we may not have been aware of what was going on. And usually one side or the other would have their propaganda this was a good thing, this was a terrible thing. Depending on which propaganda machine you listen to, you would probably feel, yeah, this is a good thing, this is a bad thing. But today, we, with the internet, we live with such a, a variety of views and opinions and such first-hand um, footage and uh, descriptions. And even that, we have to be wise about too and realise that it can be manipulated too. That's, that's, that's the truth of it, you know, and can be... There can be spins on it as well. But in the end, with whatever we're witnessing, you know, in life, we have to see how it's affecting us in here, our, our qualities. And uh, when we see these inequalities and prejudices and uh, all the uh, exploitation that we see in the world, all the violence we see in the world, if it gives rise to uh, depression, uh, if it gives rise to anger, this is not useful for us, uh, probably not useful for anyone. 
often activists run on anger. <laughs> it's not a positive energy, actually. It really burns them, and it doesn't really, in the end, contribute to... It does give a lot of energy, but doesn't contribute to the cause, really, in a positive sense. But what can is when we see these things, and it really opens the heart, and there's compassion and feeling for these people, their condition, their situation, and maybe from that... What can I do if I can do something about it? Even just having that uh, opening of the heart compassion is a good sign for us because this is a, a quality that connects us as human beings that wants to deal with the inequalities, wants to deal with the prejudices, wants to accept people as they are, you know, and give them the opportunity to be um, uh, full human beings and and uh, so this we look at where we're coming from and see how what the effect it is having on us and of course then you know in terms of the practice isn't it it's right effort we just see you know if it's giving rise to negative qualities then we um, it's possibly not so useful to us to focus on it that much um, not to necessarily ignore it. Um, but if it's giving rise to positive qualities, yes, to go with it and make a contribution in whatever way we can. Um, is, we'll feel good within ourselves, we'll develop good qualities. So I, I would say this, you know, that it just really depends on how we're uh, reacting to what we're experiencing um, and uh, whether it's developing good qualities or not. So thank you for that question. I think it's a very important question and one that many of us are experiencing in our lives. And, you know, uh, even, you know, people talk to me about um, anxiety they feel and things like that. And a lot of that's coming from seeing the nature of the world really up close, you know. And COVID-19 is pretty up close too for all of us because we, we realise the uncertainty of our, our existence, actually, even though we try to to have a view that it's all stable and everything's going to continue as it is as much as possible. Of course, the nature of reality has changed. So thank you for that one. Yeah. And I think, is that maybe one more question, is that a good idea before we finish off? Yeah, we have one um, online question. Could Ajahn talk about other things we can do if meditation doesn't appeal? Can we do dana, be helpful, and consider the good things we have done and others have done? Yeah, of course. Uh, the, the whole path of practice, you know, is, is there's a lot of aspects to it. But, you know, dana, giving, is a, giving and sharing is an important part of the practice. And one of the most important parts is being an ethical person. You know, this is developing our, the five precepts, developing um, our actions of body and speech, and of course, the mind in the process. And a lot of these um, aspects of meditation that we talk about, like metta and, and these things, the, the Lord Buddha actually encouraged us to develop it through the mind. That would be meditation, isn't it? Through body, through our actions, and through our speech. So if we really want to develop metta, uh, in daily life, we can do it by being a kind person, you know, thinking of something we can do for another, saying something kind. This is, this is actually something we can do. And it is developing that quality in the mind. 
Meditation is not the only place we can impact on the mind, but it's a very good reconditioning place, you know, to changing the habits of the mind and reducing the negativity. That's the idea. And therefore, um, in enabling our speech and actions to be even better, coming more from this mind state that we're reconditioning. It's, it's, it's uh, becoming purer and uh, kinder and more generous, all those things. But yes, we can practice the Noble Eightfold Path um, through our actions and speech for sure. And it will affect our mind too. So thank you very much for that question. And I can, I think we have... All right, Adrian. Oh, you have a question. All no. right. You want an announcement? Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. Yes, I, rem I was thinking of that just... <laughs> Yeah, Sorry, so. I just uh, forgot to, to make uh, one short announcement <clears throat> yeah. and one message. Um, Ajahn Morito, thank you, Ajahn Morito, for staying overnight here to celebrate the New Year with us. Uh, Ajahn Morito will be going back to Newbury, so we're looking for a driver who, who's able to drive Ajahn Morito back to Newbury after lunch dinner. If you can offer the service, can you let me know, please, afterwards? As we usher, as we usher the year of the 2023... Ajahn Nisaura, I just mentioned that uh, BSV is entering into his 80th birthday. This oh, 70th, year. 70th. 70th. We're not sorry. 80 yet. No. <laughs> Sometimes feel like 80. <clears throat> I'm I, too advanced in it. That's it. Yeah. Sorry, 70th birthday this year. Yeah. So it's going to be a great year. It's a great achievement, a great milestone for the BSV. And we have come a long way. And the BSV has started working on the plan to how we're going to celebrate the 70th birthday of the BSV. So um, at this stage, we don't think it will happen in the first six months of this year as we have a um, few events happening. We have the Ajahn Brahmali retreat, uh, the BSV AGM happening, and we have some work to do in the AGM, and then the Vesak in May. And uh, so it looks like the 70th birthday celebration will happen in the later half of this year. At this stage, it may coincide with the opening ceremony of the center, I believe, yeah, but we, we still had yet to finalize it. With Ajahn Brahm, yeah. With Ajahn Brahm. We're not sure well. yet. I We're not sure yeah, yet. Yeah, and we have sure. to uh, make sure that Ajahn Brahm is here because he has such a busy schedule. Now that he's doing, he's opening up his uh, traveling calendar, he's been invited mm. all around the world and it's hard to get hold of him. But we are working with Ajahn Brahm, Ajahn Brahm to see if we can uh, get a date sometimes this year and it will be a great celebration. If you have any good ideas how we may celebrate the 70th birthday of the BSV, please let us let the committee know. Uh, we, it will be a very good year as the BSV has, uh, has facilitated the Dharma teaching and also served the, uh, the Dharma Sasana in, in Victoria for so many years. And we'd like to see its uh, benefits continue for many, many more years to, get, to, 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 to come. And we like to celebrate the, the joy and, and of giving the Dharma. And we like you to, to participate in the joy too, as well, in the Dharma practice. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much. Uh, for those who like to uh, offer the driving service to Ajahn Monitor, please come and see me afterwards. If not, I shall be the one. <laughs> yeah, and I'd just like, just like to finish with sharing the merits of the, the teaching today, especially, I think, but you can share it with all those that are uh, departed relatives and friends or those that are experiencing sicknesses and so on. Uh, I would particularly keep in mind uh, Venerable uh, German Jana Ramata, uh, who passed away on the 1st of January, 2022, uh, 2020, yeah, 2022, and uh, at age 80. He was a, a German monk who lived in Sri Lanka, 
for most of his uh, many years as a monk. So just to dedicate merit to him briefly, and for all of you who'd like to join in to dedicating merit to those that have passed away or having a difficult time um, because of health issues or whatever issues in their life. So there we are. Inang vonyati nang hotu sukita hontu nyatayo Inang vonyati nang hotu sukita hontu nyatayo Inang vonyati nang hotu Sukita hon So please do come over for the shared meal and make merit in the on the first of January, the beginning of twenty twenty three. What a good way to start a year. Doing something good and bringing happiness and joy and spending time with with uh, Dhamma friends, with uh, Kalyana Mittas, with spiritual friends. Sadhu. So see you over there. We can pay respects to the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha, those who'd like to, just to finish off. It's a nice way to...